Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be interviewing a variety amount of professionals in the real estate industry to help you buy your first real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll provide three actual steps that you can do today to help you get 1% closer to acquiring your first multifamily or single family property. My goal with this podcast is to show the world that regular people like you and me can build wealth through real estate. Today on the, on the podcast, we have Jamie. Jamie works alongside his wife, Kelly. They've been investing in real estate in Omaha, Nebraska since 1993. Between 1993 and 2000, they completed 10 fix and flip properties and collected 10 rental units. The couple sold their properties to focus on raising their family and developing their art, music, and photography careers. In 2012, they began to invest again in real estate, and the Burmeisters now have 16 small multifamily properties and single-family rental units in Omaha. Two of these are mid-term rentals, and the rest are long-term unfinished. Kelly does the management and renovations of the rentals, while Jamie focuses on acquisitions and renovations. Let's listen to Jamie, everybody. Jamie, so can you tell the world a little bit about you, who you are, what you do? Hi, Emeka. Thanks for having me here. My name is Jamie Burmeister. I am, my career is I'm an artist and a musician, and so I spend most of my time and energy in that world. But my wife, Kelly Burmeister, and I also invest in real estate. And we've been investing in real estate since 1993. I think we bought my first house. And we have two children. We live in Omaha, Nebraska. And all of our uh, real estate investments presently are in Nebraska and Iowa. So they're pretty close to home, but that's, that's a little bit about me. So you're an artist and a musician. So before we even get into real estate, what, what brought you into art and what kind of music do you do? Yeah, well, you know, I've always, I've always made art. I've always been interested in, in making things, making things with my hands. And, but, you know, I didn't really have many good examples of people doing that as an occupation. So when I went to college, I was either going to, get a degree in art or get a degree in exercise science. And I was, I played tennis in college. So when I got there, I took this life drawing class at Creighton University that was like five hours long at night. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can handle four more years of this. So I kind of, I ended up getting a degree in exercise science, thinking I wanted to be a physical therapist. And I went and worked in that a little bit and then figured out that that's not what I wanted to do. So I, I ended up going and getting a master's degree in health education, which was a pretty interesting field for me and, and taught some of that over at UNO in Omaha. But, you know, kind of in the back of my head, I knew I wanted to do something a little more creative. And I'd always been doing music and art. And so when I was 30... And we had our second child. I was kind of, you know, I, I'd been, you know, we'd, we'd been investing in real estate and that was a good thing, but I knew, you know, I, there, my passion, that was a, that was a passion both Kelly and I had, but I knew like for my, my career, I wanted to be a little, you know, work in these creative fields. So that's when I kind of committed to being an artist as a career. The music, I've always been making music and I continue to make music on about the same scale, probably do about between 50 and 80 shows a year playing music. The group I, I play with mostly is the, called the Polka Police. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a comedy duo my brother and I have. And so if anyone 
if anyone's interested, you can go to polkapolice.com and check out some of the videos and, and whatnot. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And then as far as art goes, after I sort of committed to becoming an artist, I, I decided to, to go continue in academics and I ended up getting a master's of fine arts from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln in sculpture and then went on to to teach at Metro Community College in Omaha, Nebraska. I did that for about 15 years, as well as being a, an artist, making art, making public art projects. And here about two years ago, I retired from that job and I I, I just just do art now. So just art and music and real estate, so. Fun, fun, fun. And you're in Mexico right now for an art project, correct? Yes, yes. I'm here in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I work with a gallery here, Galleria Omar Alonzo. And we came down, um, my daughter Mackenzie had her first international solo exhibition down here at the same gallery. So we were down here kind of helping her get that together. And then I was also making some work for the gallery to kind of go in their inventory here. So we've had we've had a good time here over the last maybe seven, eight years coming down in the winters and, and, and making art and having exhibitions and, and projects. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, that's one one nice thing about, uh, you know, going back to the real estate. One of the real valuable things about real estate and probably our, our primary interest, you know, my wife and I were, were the investors and and we kind of each have our own roles. But we really wanted something that was flexible enough that we could go out and, and explore our passions and travel and, and do things, get a little more freedom through through real estate. So what brought you to real estate to begin with? So it sounds like you were investing in real estate a little bit in college or maybe right afterwards. Why didn't you go into something else? <clears throat> you know, I, I, I just, I, I remember being like a senior in college you know, and I've been living in these crappy apartments. And so, you know, that's my first experience with rental properties was living in rental properties. And then I, I just, I just thought, yeah, it might be, I like to, I'm pretty good working alone and working independently. And I thought it would be a fun project to buy a, like a fixer upper house and just figure out how to fix all the stuff up. And so that's what I did when I was like 21, right out of, right out of, I think I was still in college. Actually, when I bought the house, we bought a little house that was built like right after World War II. There was just like a slab house, little three bedroom, kind of like 900 square foot house that was totally eaten by termites and had everything that could possibly be wrong with it. And kind of did our first kind of live in flip in that and you know lived there and just figured out how to fix the stuff up and you know had a good time you know working with my hands and you know then that that was kind of the jumping off point and then somewhere along the line i read rich dad poor dad by uh, robert kiyosaki which of course is the book everyone mentions but that was a that was that that put my thinking about real estate and financing and wealth kind of in a, in a different direction. And so that was, those were, that's kind of how we got started. And so we kind of had a, a first career. So like in, in 90, like 93 to about, you know, we did, a, a, you know, I don't know, we probably did, well, I think we did 
between, you know, in those seven years, I think we did, let me look it up here. One, two, I think we did maybe eight properties in those like seven years. And so we, there were maybe, maybe four of them were like live in flips. And then the other ones were rental properties. So at like the height of our rentals in that first go around with real estate, we had 10 units, which was like a fourplex, one duplex and four houses. But the, the problem was the mistake I made is I was doing everything. I was doing the maintenance. I was doing the management. I was doing the snow removal, the, you know, everything. And it just was it was too much, you know, it kind of burnt me out on it. And so there towards the end of that, that's when I was thinking I wanted to kind of go into art a little more seriously. So we, we, we basically sold all our properties and we moved to Gretna, Nebraska, which is where our kids went to school. And then where I also went to graduate school in Lincoln while we were living there. So that was kind of the, the first go around with real estate. So it sounds like you, you you had two rounds of real estate. So the first one, yeah, you did everything by yourself, got tired, sold that, moved to Gretna, and then started building again. So what's your current portfolio? Currently, we have 16 units. We've got one fourplex. They're mostly small, multifamily, and single family. One fourplex, three duplexes. We've got four single family houses, and then we've got a little commercial building as well that we rent out. So that's our, our present portfolio. We, and, and this, this go around, we sort of, we spread the load. Kelly does the, my wife, Kelly does the, the, the management. So she is working with renting, working with the tenants, working with contractors. I guess I'm more a little bit of the visionary and I'm the one, you know, kind of out there looking for properties and, and finding deals and, and thinking about, you know, thinking about where we want to go with this. But we've, we've basically built these properties up since about 2012. We kind of started trying to, you know, that was after 2008, after there was sort of the crash and we just kind of we're actually looking to get back into it too much, but just kind of looked around and saw all these properties that were very affordable and it just seemed like a good, a good time to get back in. And it was, and, and interest rates were super low. So we basically kind of have worked our way back into this, these properties by sort of doing, I guess, when we started doing this, this, the, the acronym really wasn't a thing, but kind of the Burr, Burr method of buying, renovating, renting, you know, financing, and and then doing it all over again once you take some of your money back out with the with the refinance, and so we just yeah built up built up this portfolio that way. Cool, cool, cool. So the Burr strategy is obviously the most common thing when it comes to like the Bigger Pockets podcast and all that stuff. Did you have a goal with everything? Do you have a goal now on how many more properties that you want or are you stopping now or what's the what's the long term plan for you? Yeah, we're from the beginning, we were sort of interested in, you know, financial independence and just 
being able to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it with whoever we want to do it. And so that that's always been the goal. So we we're not really interested in 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 giving ourselves like a job that takes all our time. We want we want the real estate to be, you know, something that I mean, we, we enjoy it. We're interested in it. We're interested in both Kelly and I like to do the renovations and fix things up and improve things. We're also pretty interested in becoming efficient and using efficiencies to to make the business run as well as we can. We're a little bit opportunistic. So there were times when it was really easy to to buy properties that cash flowed really well. And we're, we're definitely buy and hold investors. We kind of learned that through our, our first go around where we should have kept some of those properties. And in fact, we did. We went back and bought some of those properties back from the people that we that sold them to. So, you know, we, we learned that first go around that you don't, for us, we, we can't do all the work. And the other thing we learned is, you know, for us, the, the real gains in value in real estate is sort of holding it. So if you can get it and you can hold it, the longer you can hold it, the better. Right now, we're, we're in a little bit of a shift where we've been looking at potentially per- purchasing some more commercial real estate, like a warehouse space. Again, I'm an artist and I need like studio space. We've been looking for some spaces like that. We um, we're new to that. So we're, we haven't quite found the right property, but we're kind of looking that. Then we're also looking at like different, different locations, kind of diversify a little bit. We've got everything in Omaha. Omaha has been working good and and it's it's a good place for us to be but we're we're kind of looking at some other other spots around the country and around the world you know we might we might try and buy something down here in Mexico if if we can find the right thing so what advice would you give to an aspiring investor who is just getting started they're listening to this because they want to get into real estate so you got started when you were 21 in college what mistakes or what did you learn that you want to pass on for someone else to not make yeah, I think I think those two things I mentioned are big ones. The you can do all the work yourself and that and and that can that can work, but you can't really scale it. So if you want to scale and get big, I think um finding, you know, it's a people game, finding good 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 people that you can work with whether it's finding the properties or whether it's rehabbing the properties or whether it's renting the properties it's about it's about the people you know and your network so i think trying to you know just just participate go out and find some people that are doing what you want to do see if you can help them out and and you know maybe maybe learn by what they're doing i think the real estate is definitely a, a way i mean that's been the the biggest wealth builder in our in our lives we've we've both Kelly and I've had jobs and we we still we still do work but you know the real estate as an investment has been the way we've been able to keep and and build wealth you know throughout our our lives so i think if you're if you're looking at it that way and i think having a, a long range view is helpful and i think when i got started it we would have helped to you know step back a, a bit 
and talk to some people that had more experience about, you know, what, what might be the best thing to do for your future self. So it's amazing. It's like you do more art. You're in Mexico and, you know, you just yep. got to take the, the rental income. So what has been the yep. biggest advantage for you and Kelly to manage the properties yourself instead of hiring a property manager? Well, I think, you know, we, we bought a lot of properties here over the last 10 years that were terribly mismanaged. You know, we had to deal with inheriting tenants that the owners should have never rented to. And, you know, that was, that's why they were selling. They had, you know, we, we bought properties with squatters. We bought properties with, um, tenants that, that wouldn't pay. We, you know, so we, we've, we've had the, and, and this is something that, that I, I knew straight away when we're renting. And this is something that, that we, we have always done is to really check out the renters and get good renters. Um, I like to say, you know, a bad renter will cost you a million and a good renter will make you a million. It's really true. So again, you know, talking about these people, we we choose to pick who goes in our property. And I think that's the, the biggest value we add by managing it ourselves. I think almost everything else, probably a management company might be able to do it better. You know, the other thing is we, I've got, we've got Kelly. Kelly is a people person and she is an excellent manager and excellent at dealing with the tenants, excellent at working with the contractors. You know, if it were me, I would choose to to hire it out because I'm I'm not that interested in it and honestly I'm not that good at it but Kelly's really good at it she's taken the lead on all of that stuff and and gets gets the job done better than anyone so I think there there is a there is value in doing it yourself if you have the time and energy you know it's really hard to do if you got another job or you know so Kelly's pretty much Kelly's full-time job is is managing these 16 units and as mentioned before, you got started whenever you were 21. So I know there's a lot of listeners right now that are just really struggling to get started or won't get started at all. Why do you think most people are scared to jump in? Yeah, it, it's scary. I think, you know, you're talking about large sums of money, especially when you're young. I think right now there are opportunities to have get into properties with low down payments or even seller financing. I know rates are high right now. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to, you know, I need to wait. But I, I think that is another lesson that we have learned is that, you know, the, the time to buy is, you know, when you see the property and, you know, there's, there's, it it's, I don't think, I mean, you could, you could, if you, if you had a crystal ball, you could time things and you would know, you know, our approach has been to just continually invest, just kind of, you know, do it over, over, you know, but like our, our goal starting in like 2012 was one property a year. And we pretty much added, you know, over one unit a year. And that was, that growth was very manageable with us doing other things and having kids and very, you know, you can you can really look around and find good properties and find good deals and wait for the right properties. It takes work. So I so I think I don't know if this is answering the question or not, but I think I think, yeah, it's a it's a leap of faith. But I think 
some people are more risk averse than others. I guess I, I don't mind risk. The larger risk right now is inflation and, you know, your money in the bank is, is losing, you know, it's going down, you know, we're, we're not making as much as in the things that we buy are inflating in costs. So I think there is a danger in, in not investing in something as well. So that knowledge is, is, goes into our equation. And I love how you mentioned risk. So you said jumping into uh, real estate is risky. Like any investment, everything is risky. What has been the worst thing that's happened to you with all your risks in, in real estate? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. We've, we've got some stories. We've, we've had, again, the, you know, we've had some natural disaster type things with trees falling on houses and those sort of things, but they're, they're not so bad. They're, they're, you know, you have insurance, you have contractors, you deal with it. We had, I can tell one story, we had some renters in a house and there was these very strong winds in, in the Omaha area. And there was a big silver maple in front of this house. And it, you know, the winds must have kind of knocked it loose. And then there was another storm. Wind knocks this tree over. There is a, a couple who was getting married the next day. They, the tree falls on their house, right on their bedroom, goes through the roof. The, the, the man ended up with a, with a fairly large tree branch across his chest in the middle of the night, the night before they got married. So that was... That was a bad one, but they were they were good people and good renters, and they you know we we just dealt with it right. So that's that's kind of a horror story, but you know they um, we got through it. I think the the worst we've had have been just renters that you know like I said we bought a we bought a fourplex that had a bunch of young kids that were sort of squatting in one of the apartments. Someone rented the apartment, and again, this was managed by a property manager. They didn't check out the person they were renting to. They rented it to this person, and then this person skipped town, and there were like 20 people going in and out of this apartment all day, all night, all the time. So we had to go in and figure out what was going on. We didn't know what was going on. We're looking for the guy that's on the lease. He's nowhere to be found. Once we kind of figured out what was going on, we had to, you know, go through an eviction process of the guy who wasn't actually living there. We had to call the cops to sort of move everyone out. We had those people get very angry and break back in and, you know, find whatever in the house they wanted to find. So that was that was probably one of our worst, the sort of nightmare situations where you got to deal with with people that are kind of taking advantage of you and, you know, kind of uh, just not, not working within the system, the way our system works. And so it was, but we got, we got through it and nobody got hurt. And, you know, that's why you, you, you know, one, one other lesson is you got to have, you got to have some extra money around for when problems happen. You know, you can't, you got to have the, the contingency fund. You got to have the, the emergency fund, so you can get through the problems. And most of these problems, luckily money will fix, so. Cool, and I love it. And that, what's funny is that's your risk. Your risk is maybe a little headache. You said a tree, <laughs> a tree broke down someone's house and insurance and it all worked out. 
when you still have 16 units, you're still alive and you're still doing art like you want. So um, yep, I, I exactly. people want to put money into, you know, the stocks or the 401k. And I asked them like what investments in the 401k is they going to. And like me, I actually have no idea. You're just trusting somebody else to build the money for you versus with real estate, yep. you know, you get to control the entire situation, even though a tree, you know, broke down a house. Well, at least, you know, that the value of the house went down because obviously there's a tree in it. You put the insurance, it fixes up everything and now everything's back to normal and, you know, the value is still there. So you're in Omaha. Do you have a specific strategy whenever you're looking for property or you're looking for specific zip codes, a certain price, specific areas? I know the, what is it, the, the, the baseball series, the college uh, mm -hmm. baseball series is there, right? Yep. College World Series. Yep. We, you know, we have, we have a, uh, we've got some properties spread out all over town. I think here the last, oh, probably five properties we bought have been in kind of like midtown Omaha and that's where we live. And we kind of like, again, managing them ourselves. We like to be close. So, and, and also that part of town is very easy to rent. There's hospitals there. There's, you know, close to downtown, close to lots of the employers in the area, as well as like the, the stuff, like you said, the College World Series and the, the, the Civic Center and all the, the stuff in Omaha is right there. We, we look for properties that, that, we look for good prices. Most of our properties require renovation. So we're looking for something that somebody wants to get rid of that's, that's a problem for them and we can get in and we can, we can do a renovation. And after the renovation, we have some, some equity. So we will usually pay cash for the properties we buy. Um, at, at one point that was, that was a real selling point. You know, these days it, it doesn't mean much. There's lots of people coming in with cash, but we come in with cash. We try and buy a property that, you know, needs work. We're not really scared of any kind of renovations, but it, you know, the numbers have to make sense. We're looking for properties that when we're done, after we have refinanced them, that they cash flow and we can, we can make some money off of that. And we're pretty conservative with our numbers so that, you know, we're, we, we make lots and lots of offers and we buy just a few of those properties that, that kind of fall within our parameters. So we're, we're not scared to go out and, and make lower offers if the property is worth less to us. You know, all they can do is say no. And sometimes they say yes. So those ones that they say yes are usually the ones we end up getting. There are properties that are well located that we will spend more on. We probably passed on a lot of properties that we should have bought, you know, with this strategy. But I think, you know, with our, that, that's one way we, we minimize our risk is to make sure we get in. And, and once, once the property is working that we have, we have equity and we have cash flow, we're not that, you know, we're not that worried about, I mean, we are worried about, you know, the property values going up and we want a property that's going to be worth more in the future than it is now. But we're kind of old school and that we want some cash flow. Cool. Do you all search for a specific amount of cash flow you want a month 
or how are you determining which properties to buy numbers wise? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, it's interesting. The first go around, I was using the 2% rule. So I wanted the monthly income, the monthly rent to be 2% of the purchase price. Nowadays, we're not getting anywhere close to that, you know, so there were back then there were lots of properties like that. And if I had a time machine, I would have gone, I'd go back and buy all I could. Here coming, you know, early 2000, you know, 2012 through until interest rates have gone up so high, we're kind of looking at the 1% rule as a start. And, you know, we'll, we'll work the numbers a little tighter and, and look for, for cash flow in that range, you know, in that range of, you know, I would really, I really like to make 15% on our investment is what I would like to make after expenses. Some of ours might, it might fall down to 10%, might be 20%, but that, that's kind of the equations I'm using. Or- a year. Yep. We're looking at okay. per year. And so, you know, if you're, if you have to invest, you know, a hundred thousand, we want to, we want to end the year with 15,000 cash flow over expenses. Cool, cool, cool. So now we're going to move on to the next segment of the show where I ask the same three questions. First question is there, what are the two books that you would recommend an aspiring investor to read? Okay, this this these were good questions. It's it's fun to to think about what I would advise and I will say that both of these books are geared the reason they're important to me is because it's it's part of like my personality, but one is How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which is the classic book that he wrote initially in 1936 and Yeah, love that book. I read that book every year. Usually, like when we're flying somewhere, you know, I go back to it and I I, like I won't get all the way through it every year. But like every section of that book, you know, I use and has helped me in dealing with people The the actually coming down here to Mexico when we're we're flying. I read the the section on um, not arguing with people, how nobody wins in an argument. And that's always a good reminder <laughs> uh, because sometimes I like to argue. So, and that, that never helps you out. Uh, so that's one. I like that one. And then the other one is um, Who Not How by uh, Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. Ha- yeah, Hardy. And that one, again, is geared more towards me. I'm kind of a hands on person and it's my inclination to want to do everything myself that book is is is, has got a good argument for hiring people to do things or or teaming up with people to do things so you can do more so you can scale so you can do big things that one person can't do alone and i think that is a is a good lesson has been a good lesson for me and has really helped us you know be successful this second go around where we weren't quite as successful the first go around. So those are the two that I, that I would advise. Great. Great. What has been the most impactful speech or lesson that helped your career? Um, 
this was interesting. There's, you know, I'm inspired by everything around me and there's been so many things that have inspired me, but there was something recently that, and it was a, a short little video I saw of uh, Governor J.V. Fitzker. It was a commencement address he gave to Northwestern University about uh, kindness as a form of intelligence, how it requires intelligence to be kind, whereas we probably are more naturally inclined to be cruel. I mean, our our evolution has sort of, if 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 someone was different than us, we would fight against them or whatever. And so anyway, his this this commencement address, he outlined how the smartest person in the room is usually the kindest person. And I thought, I think I'd never thought about that before. And I think that is probably true. And it's, it's kind of a beautiful, a beautiful thing to think about. So that's something that's that, that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And I think that's been something that, you know, can be very important to, to a career. Amazing. Amazing. And if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay, that's a good question. And I was thinking about this and I'm thinking of all these people that have been influential in my life and famous people and whatnot. And I'm gonna to say to you two people, my grandparents, Joe and Agnes Ashelford, they are my mother's parents and they sort of, as a, I knew them as a, a, a child and they were great, but as I never got to know them as I became an adult, they kind of progressed into like dementia. And, and so I would love to sit down with them and have dinner and just pick their brain about what their lives were like. And, and I think I, I got to do that with my father's parents and it's been a real source of, of, value and information and inspiration that generation you know two generations ahead of me they had totally different problems and 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 things going on in their lives and i think it's really inspiring to think about what what they did and how they did it and so I, that's that's who i'd love to have dinner with cool and lastly how can the audience reach out to you if they want to ask you about anything or see your art yeah, so you can go to jamiebermeister.com and view my art and there's a contact form. You can get a hold of me there. Of course, I'm on the social medias. I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook and you can find me there at jamiebermeister. Also, polkapolice.com and polkapolice is on the internet as well. Everyone can go and check those out. But I, I love to hear hear from anyone about anything. I love love conversing about whether it's art or music or real estate or life or, or, or any of those things. I, I, I enjoy interacting with people that way. So yeah, bring it on. Well, I'll put all those in the show notes. And Jamie, thank you so much for joining the show. We're going to have to have you back on in the, in the near future. Well, thank you, Emeka. It's, uh, it's a great thing you're doing here. I loved it. That was Jamie, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I'll give you three actionable steps that you can do today in order to get you 1% closer to buying your first real estate investment. Before then, please like and subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please comment and rate if you enjoyed this podcast. 
have meant a lot to me and I would love to know your thoughts. Action step one, look into the 1% rule. The 1% rule states that, for an example, if you were to buy a $200,000 investment, 1% of that should be your monthly rental income. So $2,000 a month. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but determine what rule works in the area around you. Number two, call a property management company. Just tell them that you wanna buy a property and you're shopping around to see what property management best fits you. They don't need to know if you're ready or ready or not to buy a property. You just need to determine if they're the right ones for you. Call more than one, call two or three, compare each ones and see which one would be best fit for you in the future. Keep in mind, things may change, but it may work out for you. Next, figure out what expense you would like to cover. It could be your student loans, it could be your car monthly payment, it could be your lease, it could be anything, maybe a, a loan on a, on a MacBook Air, it doesn't matter. Determine what expense that you would like to cover first and see how much cash flow you need to do it. So if you have a MacBook Air 2028, whoever, the most brand new thing, and it costs you $200 a month, see what properties you would need to invest in to cover that and then some. So you can kind of have an idea of what you need to do to cover certain expenses. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast. Until next time, see you later.